0: The Bible says to put away childish things, but many adults in our culture act very childish. So what is childishness? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides.
1: I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn.
0: In our culture, many adults, like, throw temper tantrums, and then they post them on Facebook or TikTok. You know, other people think that regardless of how old they are, that they should be able to move back into their parents and have their parents take care of them. You know, other people think that the whole world should just conform to them so that they they can do whatever they want and the world is supposed to compensate for, for their actions. You know, but Paul says in First Corinthians thirteen eleven, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So, what does it mean? What are childish things that we're supposed to be putting away?
1: I think so. When you ask that question, I think right now, I think in a lot of ways, people pre- frequently approach it from the perspective of opinion. And you get a lot of different answers is what is childish. But when you have somebody that, when Scripture talks about things, one of the things we talk about a lot and the purpose of this podcast is to help Christians actually be able to think about biblical things. And so, when Scripture talks about childishness, it means you can think about it, not just. Just have this, your own opinion, your own, your own area that you do it. And so what this is in Scripture is when it talks about, and it's something we've lost in our culture, is the idea of when Scripture talks about perfection, which is really about maturity. About and so, completeness, yeah. And so childishness is, those things that are childish are those things that in a certain, in a certain state, you're, they're allowed because of where you are and what you are. But as you mature by the very process of maturity, it's those things that should disappear. It's those things that should go away by the process of maturity. And so, in the end, you can actually think about it through what maturity is. And you can actually, and so there are many things that people would say are childishness that shouldn't go away. I mean, sincerity. Is not something that should go away. A sense of wonder is not something that should. What go children
0: away. do you know sincerity?
1: <laughs> oh, because I mean, people just mean that children like when they they, they look like, so
0: sincere, they, as they're, they're <laughs> lying to
1: you. Right. That's what I mean. They're, this is and and because we have these, we we tell ourselves these fictions about what childishness is, but in the end, because Scripture puts these in a thing we can in a way we can think about it. We can actually identify childishness, and there are so many ideas that are associated with childishness that really have nothing to do with childishness, that, are really, that, that should stay with maturity, that should be maintained. And there's other things that absolutely should vanish by their nature, and that God has designed them by their nature to go away.
0: You know, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that, you know, when he, was a, when he
1: became a man, he put away
0: childish things, one thing that he's not saying is that this is something believers do. He's saying this is what it means to grow up. This is what it means to be an adult. This isn't just something that, oh, if you're in church, you're supposed to do this. No, this is something that that everyone should do when they become a man, when they reach a certain age where they have responsibility and things. They're supposed to act like a man. They're not supposed to act like a child anymore. They're supposed to put away childish things. And so Paul is saying this axiomatically, that this is what it means to be a man. You put away childish things. And not just a saved man, just a man. Because Paul was a man way before he was, was saved.
1: I mean, and I think I think it's an important way to think about it, because in the end, God is not saying when you were a child it was bad that you were a child. There's this picture of childhood and adulthood in an individual, and then there's this picture over time of like within the church and the church becoming more mature. So I mean, you know, they all of these things, they relate to real things in the world they relate to things that we can think about and so when you see a child you don't look at him and go you stupid child how it's so horrible that you're a child and look at you you're sitting there with the things that it, you know i mean that's that's not the attitude that you should have toward a child it's not and it sh- but <clears throat> if you saw a 30 year old who without any other condition behaved just like the child he soiled himself he wouldn't do any work. He for other people had to feed him and take care of him and change his diaper. You should look at him and go, something is fundamentally wrong here. That is disgusting. If he is choosing to do this, if he is, if this is what's going on, and so there is this part of it where the, the being a child is not bad, but if it continues, if it. If those things that are childish don't go away, we all understand that there is something very wrong. And at the same time, sin causes us to try to desire to keep some of those things that are childish and to enjoy them and and can keep them
2: around. It's just a stage that has to be grown out of. Right. It has to be grown out of, but it's not problematic to be in that stage as long as you're growing. Right. Right.
0: And Paul, when he's doing it, right, he's making a metaphor saying that he was a child and he became a man, and that's a metaphor for that we're on earth now and that those who are saved will be in heaven. And so he's saying it's clearly better to be a man than a child, and yet some people are looking at, you know, they aren't saying this, but, you know, like your example was, you shouldn't look at a child and go, this is terrible that you're a child, but you shouldn't look at the child and go, I wish I was a child too. Right? Those are equally wrong. Is that the child stage is a good stage for the child at his stage. God has purposes for it so that we can understand things about we can understand spiritual things is why he designed the system this way. But the point is, you know, it says in Matthew eighteen three and four, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus saying to them, you should become like a child. But I think a, p- a lot of people think that you're supposed to become like a child and then stay like a child in the kingdom of heaven. But you're not supposed to stay like a child in the kingdom of heaven any more than you're supposed to stay like a child on the earth. That you're supposed to grow up, you're supposed to mature. That's Romans 8, that you're supposed to, you know, he who began a good work in you will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. And I think a lot of people look at it and go, well, we're supposed to become like children and stay like children. No. The picture is that you grow out of it. And as you mature, yes, you come to Christ with certain attributes. And some of those attributes should remain, but other attributes should go away.
1: I mean, and this, when Christ says this, I mean, this is really – it's almost no different. It's a different emphasis, but it's no different than what he said to Nicodemus, that you must be born again, right? You must be converted, and you're born, and you are a little child, right? I mean, this is what – that's what happens after birth. And so, I mean, Christ isn't – he's not – this isn't some – some fundamentally independent view. This is the nature of salvation, is that it's a new birth. And so you begin as a spiritual little child.
0: And he is very specific here about one attribute of a child, which he whoever humbles himself as this little child. And so there is a picture of a certain aspect of humility that children have. They recognize their dependency. They recognize that they can't eat without their mother right if they're still nursing they they recognize certain they recognize certain things about where their state is in the world and christ is saying you have to have the humility to recognize that's your state that that's how you have to approach him it doesn't mean that you have to act like a fool it doesn't mean that you have to do silly things in order to enter the kingdom of god that's not what christ is saying at all he's saying you have to have the humility of a child
1: and children do have a great capacity to be humble in the sense of I mean you think about in this like you're talking about like when a little ch- I mean the freedom they have to cry in need is very different than an adult you know what I mean I mean most I mean in right. most situations where an adult you would look at them even if they had need you would go you need to do something you have the capacity to go and do something for yourself even if you're in a difficult situation you very rarely should just sit there as if you have, I can do nothing. I have no means to do anything. That's not. That's just not true as you become an adult. But a child really can, without any embarrassment, acknowledge that they have no capacity. Right, openly,
0: openly express their inability to do things. Right, and
1: so I mean, and I think we just, like I said, we forget these things of what the usefulness of understanding what it means to be a child is. We forget that the reason God showed us what children are, the reason he allows us to exist, and the reason why you move away from it.
0: And, you know, all children, you know, about two or three, somewhere around there, they go through this stage where they just start asking questions. And that's very humble, right? Because they're basically going, I don't know anything. (laughs) And if you want to look at some way that we're supposed to come to God – in terms of like a little child we're supposed to be that child going i don't understand the world at all i thought it was one way i might be 50 when i was saved and i thought it was one way but now i realize it's not that way tell me lord what it is and there's really that and that's an expression of humility where you go just tell me i don't understand
3: right you know there's a sense where you know spiritually that should that should go away as well not that you're not open to what the bible says but there's a point where you should have developed an understanding of the scriptures where you're not like, you know, I don't, you know, I just tell, you know, tell me about, you know, the basics of salvation. You know, it could be anything. I don't know. Tell, tell me the basics of how the world works. I mean not, you know, not that you're set in your positions that the you, you won't be changed by scripture, but there should be more of a stability where you have a knowledge base that you don't need to be asking these basic questions continually.
0: Right. And there's a difference between having that dependency and having that ignorance versus having the humility to be willing to ask that, right? I mean, because the humility should stay, but the the ignorance should not stay. We're supposed to study to show ourselves approved. We're not supposed to go, I'm ignorant. This is good. I'll just keep asking questions.
2: But as you grow up, one of the things, you you, you grow in skills, you grow in knowledge, you grow in all sorts of ways. But one of the things that you never grow in is your ability to save yourself, right? Right. This is something that you always have to be humble before God. It's it's God save me or else. You know, I, I this is something that I can never do, even as I'm able to grow it and do other things.
0: I I still have sin. He who says he is without sin, the truth does not abide in him. You always have to say you're you have sin, and to say you have sin means that you say you need a savior, which is a statement of humility.
1: And, and this is a really important. I mean, because I mean, there's two things that are really important there. One, I mean, Joshua's point because i was thinking there's a very i mean one of the you know stereotypical false teacher tropes on like facebook and things is the person who comes out and they act as if the virtue of pretending as if you know nothing about god is the highest virtue and they'll you know you'll see these posts that are just like that who is god and who are we to say we we should be you know and and they actually make it like as if if you have systematic theology if you've come to understand things about god that you have put god in a box and you that that is that the virtue of acting like you know nothing about god is the point you should always be at and that's just very wrong and the other is when you go to first john is there's that juxtaposition where he says you never say that i'm without sin but he also says anyone who says anyone who walks in this pattern of sin anyone who is Constantly soiling themselves, and that's the pattern of their life. Is that that you go? They also don't know God, and so when you look at First John, it's very much talking about the that the humility remains, but that there's maturity with it, and you don't pretend like those two can't exist at the same time.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the humility isn't about you know pretending that you can't do things that you can do. You know, a doctor. And, you know, someone, there's an emergency and someone needs a doctor and doctors shouldn't just say, well, I'm, I want to be humble. I don't want to say I can fix the problem when you can. You know, that's, that's not what humility is about. Humility has to be honest and honest about things like we cannot ever save ourselves. So we'll never get to a place where we can say, yes, I can save myself. But also where you can say, yes, I understand a lot of things about the scripture in certain areas and I don't need to pretend like I don't understand anything at all.
0: So even, you know, though Jesus Christ associates humility with child, being a child, we shouldn't turn around and go, this is something we're supposed to put away. So when Paul's talking about it, he's not saying humility is a, a childish trait that we're supposed to put away. You know, in 1 Peter five five, it says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so— it's very easy to look at certain traits and say, "Well, that's like a child. I should be bold, and I should tell people what to do, and I should right," as opposed to going, "No, we're always supposed to maintain humility. That's not a childish thing to be put
1: away." Another thing that is that a, that is just a characteristic of being a child that should go away as you age is that a child is weak, and th- this is part of the hum- in some ways that's tied to humility, but in the end, it's just is a different aspect completely. Because I mean, just a well, child, the is-
0: weakness. Produces humility, right. but the weakness is right. separate Th- from the humility. They're related, right?
1: But it's a separate aspect of it. Where you know, when a child is born; they they can't even they can't even lift their head. They can't hold their head up. They can, you know, I mean, they're 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 just physically weak, and they become. I mean, when, when babies are born, they sleep all the time because just they wake up, they exert all of their energy in feeding and looking around, and then they go back to sleep because they they've exhausted themselves just doing that work the work of eating tires them out that's how physically you know how weak a child is
0: And i think you know a lot of people think that that's not a childish thing to put away but when you put it in a spiritual sense i mean god is very clear that he saves us for good works he saves us so that we produce the fruit of righteousness that we produce 30-fold 60-fold 100-fold and i think a lot of people they go well like everybody, when they become a man, they're obviously stronger than they were when they were a newborn. And so, but that's a childish thing that was put away. And when we think about that and parallel that to, to you know, spiritually, to be a spiritual child, I think there's a lot of people who think that somehow it's good to be weak in the things of God. It's good to, you know, God saved me. I, you know, Jesus Christ, I'm just totally dependent upon him and we are totally dependent upon him, but. Being dependent on Him really produces strength in us. You know, when 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 Jesus is talking to the disciples, He says that I need to go to be with my Father so that the Spirit of power will come upon you. And so, mature Christians are not supposed to have a sign of weakness. It's supposed to be that same picture of a child growing up to be a man. A man is a lot stronger than a child. And that's what we're supposed to expect in the Christian walk.
2: So if, this is, if weakness is one of those things that is a sign of childishness that is supposed to be grown out of and matured out of, what are the ways in which our culture is retarding that growth or suppressing that maturity?
0: Well, I think if you look specifically in, in emotions especially, that our culture pushes really hard for people not to mature and become emotionally strong, microaggressions, right? I mean, that's, that's like the opposite of strength. Every little thing that somebody says you're supposed to get offended at, that's not physical strength, but that is emotional strength. That is, that is strength of character. That is, you know, when you look at a child wrong at a certain age, they can br- burst out into tears. Well, now we have, like, college students that you look at wrong and they burst out into tears, So I think we see that a lot in our culture, and I see that even in the church where I know pastors that they go, well, I couldn't say that because if I said that, there'd be people that would be crying in my church, and it's like, well, (laughs) maybe they should cry in your church then. But I've, I mean, I've had men tell me that, and it's like you're just leaving them weak. But we're supposed to, you know, we've we've our culture has adopted this idea that it's it's good to be emotionally weak and not be able to take you know insults and take the things that that most people in previous generations yeah there's bullies yes people call you name in schools and that's one of the advantages of schools <laughs> yeah there's aren't many advantages of schools they're lousy of teaching and stuff but you see in homeschool that a lot of people are pretty emotionally weak because their their mothers tend to very much coddle them and protect them
3: i mean it goes beyond you know just the no microaggression stuff that a lot of people reject but it, you know there's a whole mentality to this where you know the the stuff that you've experienced in your past is a trauma that will always be affecting you and has broken you. And you're just, it's a lifelong healing process from all the trauma you've undergone, rather than saying that these are stuff that I'm able, <clears throat> you know, um, negative experiences in the past are things that you should be able to take and learn from and be stronger through. Um, it, it's something that I, you know, in a lot of areas is, it's just people say, well, you know, we're kind of, we're broken forever. You know, we're always, we're, we just need to be healed.
2: It's chic to be a victim.
0: Yeah, we need to be healed, but there's no possible healing is their other part, right? right? Is that we're just, you know, we're just broken. This person did this to me when I was young, so there's just nothing I can do. I can just sit here and mope around and whine and complain instead of going, oh, well, that's the world. We have it easier than we have ever had, than humankind has ever had it by far. The poorest man in America is richer than all but a few kings in the history of the world in terms of material possessions, in terms of comfort in life, in terms of food, in terms of everything. But yet we turn around and go, we should just, everything's horrible. And now what's happened is that we're an incredibly weak culture.
1: And even you look at physical, you know, physical strength. I mean, if you've you've ever watched a two-year-old explore the world, I mean, the level, I mean, you know, They want to go upstairs and the height of, you know, every chair that they want to get into, they have to lift their entire body weight to get up into the chair. Have you ever seen them get up on, like, I saw, you know, one of our kids, like, climb up onto a stool where the stool was really narrow and rickety. And so you're seeing them, like, they're having to just, you know, very carefully shift their body weight because if they move just a little bit too much this way, a little bit too much this way, the whole thing's going to fall. They're hanging on by just little finger, you know, fingertips. And then you get to be, you know... An adult, and the most strenuous thing you do all day is, you know, carry your cell phone around. You know what I mean? And and so we, there's a part of it where we've we've really moved to where we don't, we, we stop challenging ourselves, and that's. That's very true at a lot of different levels, whether it's just physical, but we, you look at the level of challenge. And I'm not saying we should make it so everything in our houses, you know, it's, it's a jungle gym and you can't get through, through life. There is an aspect of that that children are very suited to deal with, with the flexibility of their bodies and their bones being, you know, not easily broken and injured from falls. So, I mean, there are some aspects of that where childhood is very suited to that type of thing. But we really do, we take it much easier on ourselves as we get older and and there's that attitude that that needs to change in some ways. And
0: part of it is that we, we tend not to do much. So if you do much, don't do much, you lose strength. Right. Right. I mean, it's just how it works. And so as a, as a, a culture and a people, the people that are strong, go to the gym and everybody else hires somebody to mow their lawn. Right. So they have no strength at all because they don't use it for anybody, anything. And so if you don't use your strength, your physical strength, Will, will diminish. And so and, and it shouldn't be about physical strength for the purpose of physical strength. But it is, physical strength is useful to do things. It is useful to accomplish things, including, you know, I, <laughs> you'll make fun of me, but I get a Nigerian. <laughs> you yeah, know, and I stand and preach for 13 hours a day. Well, standing up for 13 hours a day isn't hard. I mean, it's not hard at all, except most Adults in America can't stand up for 13 hours a day. Most couldn't even come close. And so, you know, physical strength does affect things. It does affect your ability to minister. You can't go out and do street preaching if you have to sit down every half an hour. And I think a lot of people are, you know, that's how weak we've become as a culture.
1: One of the things you see a lot in the Old Testament, which was a physical thing, which is meant to be a spiritual thing, is every time Israel went to war. They would go and the different they would send forth the groups of men and you would hear it was very specific you know these group of men each one of them could could you know do with a rock could hit something at this distance this group of men each one was valiant with it you know and, and they were these were men who were ready for war and very physically capable to be able you know that you could say this is where this is where they're trained for this is what they can be used for they're proficient in this way they're power, they're deadly. And, and there's a spiritual aspect that that's supposed to relate to, but those things it's the opposite of weakness it's the it is not that oh you know I read my Bible and I, you know it's it's that I'm in it within scripture within the Word of God that you're able to go out and you're actually able to use it in a way that actually causes effect in the world and that actually causes you to be able to confront things that need to be killed spiritually that need to be dealt with whether you're tearing down strongholds whether you're dealing with principalities and powers those are the things that the church is to have people that are prepared for that they can go to war in these ways
0: and everybody's supposed to be preparing for that not just like the pastors or evangelists right. or missionaries i mean this is this is the way that that the church is supposed to be light that everybody in the church is supposed to be light is by actually having the light of god's word that they can shine forth through knowing how to wield it
1: because these were I and mean, when you think about it in the description of that these were men of war; these were men of a which was basically men of a certain level of physical maturity. You know, what I mean, that was right. that was when you were considered to needing to be in this category is that you were of this level of physical maturity and that you could be able to go off to war. So you were expected to be able to do this.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of weakness, right? And it's not just pure physical or emotional, or but there is the sense that that they don't have the the strength of character to be able to resist anything and we're pretty much there as a country right and we exalt it we go the person who's who's on heroin we go oh that poor drug addict he's on heroin not he's chosen to take heroin so he's lying in a gutter it doesn't and i'm not saying you don't do anything to help them but you start out by going no this is his weakness he is weak And we're training people to be weak. We're training people to embrace their weakness rather than saying you should turn from your weakness. And a a big weakness is self-control. Can you turn away from things that you're tempted by? And yes, the Holy Spirit gives self-control. But men have been trained in self-control for a long time. That's, you know, every time an army goes to war, every person in that army wants to run away when they start shooting at them. Every single one, and they don't because they've learned self-control. And so it's not that unbelievers can't learn some level of self-control, but yet now we've almost exalted the other one, these poor victims. Like you said, everybody wants to be a victim. Victim is basically lack of self-control frequently.
2: You you know, it's a life is happening to you. You're just this passive agent and and we really are denying moral agency. Right. And that's that's incredibly destructive to people if you don't say, hey, you have some of the tools within your reach so that you don't have to live this kind of life as opposed to saying, hey, yeah, you're just you're just a victim of a disease and it's something, has, you are something has fallen of, to no, you. No, it's
0: something that you're supposed to grow out of because, yes, the child that – when they're young and you put something in front of them that they want – it's sitting on a hot stove, and they don't have the self control, and they reach up and touch the hot stove and burn themselves. And then the next time they go, "I'm not going to do that," because yeah, no, <laughs> they it, learn self control.
2: It's, it's not that hard to teach. We've been we've been preaching through the book of of the books of Exodus and Leviticus, and interestingly, it's as we do that, I keep seeing Aaron show up as being this kind of person. He's a very modern man, you know. He's he's making the golden calf for the people, and Moses comes down and is, "What in the world are you doing?" oh, well, you know, I just threw the gold in and this calf came out. Just like no no agency at all in that. Or later on when his sons die because they take strange fire in before God. Oh, look at what's befallen me today. Aaron is a very passive character in his own story. He's right. not taking responsibility for the things that are happening to him. And that's that's very childish. <laughs> it's very childlike.
3: Yeah, it's something that, you know, you even the, the really wacky – You know, parenting methods. In the end, they still do have to teach self-control and some level of accepting responsibility. Because when you get toned to like a five-year-old, I mean, in the end, everyone realizes like you have to control yourself. You can't. You can't just be on the on the wind of whatever other people are doing and responding however you feel like responding.
0: Except I know of second-grade teachers that that children attempted to stab them because they hadn't learned that so I'm not that saying still they were happens. successful
3: in teaching it but it is still the you know you know the 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 child training philosophy has to have that whether they put it in those words it still has to have some concept of that
0: and it usually has some concept of that but frequently it has the concept of you've been a failure when you do that even though everybody has to do it i mean it's the the child training now is so confused it's just so you should let them do whatever they want because and it's based on rejection of total depravity. They say they're perfect, so therefore they'll come out and do the right thing. And so um but you're right, in the end, <laughs> you have to force self-control on them. And everybody does, because otherwise you can't live with them. And so everybody has some level of childishness forced out of them by by society and by culture. One of the things that it says in First Timothy two is it talks about all these things about how a woman is allowed to preach because she basically has a different ministry. And then it says what her ministry is in First Timothy 2.15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And the reality is you can teach them about faith. You can teach them about love. You can teach them about holiness. But the one that you can train the most successfully in is self-control. And that is the duty of a mother, have their child put away their childish thing, which is lack of self-control. That's the role of a mother. That's the role of a father. But specifically, God says, this is what mothers do. They teach their children self-control.
1: What you said is really going to bother some people. And what you said— from, well
0: Just because I paraphrased the first four <laughs> verses before that will bother some people.
1: Well, that's what I mean. And, and that's what I mean, that where you say what the ministry of a woman is. But what the ministry of the woman is is also tied to maturity. You know, I mean? I mean, it's tied to physical maturity— it's tied to spiritual maturity. It's tied to emotional maturity. That in so in the end, God is saying that all of those things are worthy of what He has made for women to do, and and so there's this part of it where when you get this wrong, the childishness is I can do whatever I want. There's, there's aspects of childishness. I can do whatever I want, and self control says no, you can't. And we have a we have a culture that is very much lacking in self-control in the sense of like when you look at gender roles and you look at what we're supposed to – I mean, these things are just right. very tied together and you can just see them. And so, I mean, because – I mean, we've said this. Every time we do an episode and we talk about gender, the, the culture is so strongly proclaimed these things that I will read scripture passages and go, you can't say that. And immediately God goes – And then I
0: say it. <laughs> and God goes,
1: are you – you know I mean? And, I mean, literally, it's, it's just – it's really it's, – it's embarrassing that you want to say something that God says very plainly can't be said or shouldn't be said, or that you should apologize for it. It's really shameful.
0: And you know, and let's talk specifically about women speaking in church. The woman who speaks in church, she lacks self-control. Because she goes, my message is so important, I need to say it, even though God told me not to. Right. It is about lacking self-control. It can be about her husband lacking self-control, too. I mean, it gets complicated, but... She's bringing shame on her husband. She's bringing shame on herself by doing it. And it's a lack of self-control. And what she's instead supposed to do is teach her children self-control, which means she has to have self-control herself.
1: And you can see this in children, right? I mean, this is where we've stopped doing it. It's where if someone's doing something and the child, the child finally gives in and says the rude thing that maybe even everybody else thought, because, but they recognize it would be inappropriate it would be wrong to say and then people praise the child you had the courage to say you know what I mean and we, and you, you
0: can look at oh the we, things that come out of a mouth of a child
1: <laughs> And so I mean it is it is one of these things where, where culturally we all have this responsibility and this is you know that you can and this is what I mean when you think of childishness people have a huge range of opinions. And they'll go, well, that wasn't childish at all. That was brave. That was the brave, or that's the value of children. And God uses it sometimes, but it doesn't mean the child who did it didn't sin. It didn't, doesn't mean, you know, I mean, there are times where the child says something they should have never said, and the fact that they said it was actually convicting to other people, and the child shouldn't have said it, and someone else should have said it. Someone else who was appropriate to say it should have said it. And you see all these things play out, but the way we treat it really, really matters. I mean, one of the next things that it really ties into is, and this is kind of, I mean, you see these the relationship between these things, but self-control is related to perseverance. I mean, and they're not the same thing, but I mean, but you can see how these things tie together in so many different ways. I mean, I just, I recently just, there was a TED talk recently about somebody saying they did an interview of people in all different states of life, stages of life in different endeavors, different classes, different types of areas where different skills were needed, and they said, whenever we would try to predict who was going to succeed, and they said we would, you know, social intelligence and, you know, and, and, and just natural intelligence and different things. And they said, what we found is, is yes, these things played a role, but what was the most, the best indicator of whether people succeeded was, was grit or perseverance, you know, that, that they continued in what they were doing, that they continued when it got hard, they didn't stop, they were dogged, and they kept pushing. And like I said, that's something that when you look at children, children can be can surprise you in what they're willing to stay, you know, continue to do. And but usually, as soon as it becomes difficult and they can't see a reward in it and an immediate gratification, they stop and they stop right away. And it's it's it, This is just something that's fundamental to childhood.
0: Right. It's it's very easy for them. You know, they're they're playing with a toy, and another child comes up with another toy, and all of a sudden they have to switch what toy they're playing with right? Anything can distract them. It's very easy to distract children and that they won't, you know, stay on task. And that takes years to train them to stay on task. But that's something that, you know, that men are supposed to be able to do. I mean, that's how the, that's how the world gets built, so to speak, is that men stay on task and they don't get distracted. But there's a lot of people now that very easily distracted, very short attention span, they won't persevere in anything. And, you know, it's a, as a society, we're very childish in that way,
1: and and because we we had to say it earlier, I just want to point out that you're using men in the term of men as in mankind, as it mature men, adults.
0: And a lot of it is, a lot of it is even the males tend to be worse in a lot of these things than the females. So, to some, extent, and I'm certainly saying male and female, but right. but I do think that a lot of them apply more severely to men. In other words, a woman tends to to have a lot of tasks that are very repetitive and change all the time. While the guy who's going out and building a skyscraper, he works on it for five years. And so there is a different level of perseverance that men have for most of the tasks that they have versus what women have.
3: Yeah, I mean, because if you're talking about physical things, like building physical things, I mean, it is re- really is men do. Like we have this right. like kid's construction book, like all the different trades. And uh, like, <laughs> it's like this is such a joke. It has the woman roofer. <laughs> Who are women roofers? They're, they're, you know, these are not trades that women work in. This oh, is you're fighting the, the
2: internet but. trolls out. Yeah. yeah, send the picture light, of the light one woman roofer light in the up the comments, and, and we'll yeah. have a conversation. All
3: the women roofers leave your comments, but yeah, concrete. How many women concrete bores are there? <laughs> the Bricklayers. Bricklayers. Right. Yep.
2: They call it manhole cover for a reason.
3: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: That is the patriarchy. Isn't it a personal cover now? I think they renamed it. <laughs>
2: Talking about weakness, and now all of a sudden we sort of are turning the corner with weakness by going to perseverance. But, and I want to say, I want to say the opposite of weakness is strength, but where do you get strength from? I mean, strength is what results after persevering at something. Even if you're just talking about just the pure physical strength, well, how do you get physically strong? You do the same thing over and over and over again. Building up those muscles. Well, that's the same for any kind of endeavor. How do you how do you get not weak at that thing? Well, you just stick with whatever it is.
0: And and children are really bad at sticking with things, and really bad at at doing it when it causes them any pain or they get bored or whatever else. And men are supposed to stick with things,
1: or something scares them, or they you know I mean I mean distracts them, is, them or... right? You know I mean it's like, I mean because we we've, you know we've done whole episodes on like things like worry. And worry frequently is something that causes you not to persevere. You know what I mean? That causes you to to shift off. And I mean, so there's all these things that these things are related to. When you're talking about, if you're talking about staying on task in particular, it becomes this this whole minefield of things that can pull you off.
2: Nobody's watching me. I, you know, I there's a whole big pile of dishes there, but mom's not in the kitchen anymore, so I can goof off. And right, you know, it's.
0: Right, you wash three dishes, and then your parents walk out of the room. So then you Take start to play. Break. With, well, no, you start to play with the bubbles.
2: Right. <laughs> you know? So I, just to kind of tie all this together, Second Peter for uh, chapter one verses five to seven, sort of this classic picture of the progression of spiritual maturity, and it talks about these kinds of things there. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. So you can see how this is building through there, and and we're talking about a couple of things that are midpoints in this progression that Peter's talking about. We're talking about self-control and perseverance, and he's just showing, hey, these build on each other. Once you get one, you should be aspiring for the next one.
0: Right, and self-control, you— get to the point where you do things that you don't want to do, but then you also have to stick at them or, or it doesn't really have the effect that it should have. So we've been kind of talking about one aspect of being a child is to be weak and that that's part of childish, that's childish things that should be put away. I think another one that's really um, that's really obvious about children that's different than adults is their dependency. I mean, children are dependent on, you know, when they're born they're dependent on, Mother for everything. There's nothing they can do for themselves except breathe, basically. And so, you know, that level of dependency. When we put away childish things, we're supposed to be reducing that dependency. And it, it is just like kind of the humility where there's an aspect that we should always recognize we're dependent upon God. But I think there's a lot of people who think that well, I don't need to study the Bible for myself. What I'll do is that I'll just ask the pastor and he'll tell me what it means. Well that's a dependency that you're supposed to grow out of.
2: When when you talk about dependency, there is a sense in what you're saying that in certain things independence is a goal that you should be right. aiming for. That you should be able to do certain things for yourself without having to rely on somebody else. And I'm an American. That okay, that makes sense to me. So what's where's our culture missing on that? Where is it that we are building in a constant dependency, and or or maybe I should be specific. Where is the church doing that? How is the church requiring a dependency instead of causing well, its members to I mean, grow I maturity? Think
0: we should just first of all let's let's see it in our society. You know, when President Obama was president, he extended it. That said that you couldn't be thrown off your parents' policy until you were twenty-six. Your health care policy, well. That is because dependency upon parents and not taking responsibility for yourself, that has become the cultural norm. Right? The cultural norm is not you know, when I when I grew up the cultural norm was, yeah, as soon as you can, you you take over responsibility for your own bills, you don't expect your parents to keep paying for you. That's a sign of being a child, not the sign of being an adult. And you're supposed to not want to be thought of as a child. And now that's Our society is saying, that's fine to be thought of as a child. That's fine to have that dependency. That's fine to to still need your parents to feed you. You know, John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, his parents, like, paid all his bills until he was 55, and he was elected senator. This is a man that clearly should never be senator. He can't even pay his own bills. He's completely dependent upon his parents. And so, as a society, we've lost that idea. But then you go back, and I think you go into the church and go, okay, so what— what are the dependencies in the church? Well, I think you can see right away how often do most people open their Bible that attend church on a weekly basis. Most people don't open their Bible except at church. They go to church on a weekly basis. Well, that's saying they're completely dependent upon the doctrine of the pastor. They don't have their own doctrine. They don't have their own view of God. They don't have their own own understanding of what God expects of them. All they're doing is regurgitating what the pastor says. They're like a baby who drinks milk all the time.
1: Or at best, need someone to cut up their food. You know what I mean? I mean, at best. Uh, I was, yeah, I
0: was thinking more than cut it up, but yes. I. Okay, well, I'll give you maybe it's like that. Right. You
1: know, you know but, what I mean? But, I
0: mean, the ones that go to Bible studies are like that.
1: Right. That's what I mean. I mean As opposed
0: just, to the ones that just sit on Sunday sermon to hear the 20-minute message that's mostly anecdotes. They want milk. They want to be dependent on somebody else to make the Word of God palatable to them.
2: And, and it's one thing to say, hey, I need to be dependent on the church, because God says I need to be dependent on the church. The church is the place where I go to get provoked to righteousness. It's the place where I go to get equipped for the work of the ministry.
0: And so I would use but, a slightly different term than dependency, because from First Corinthians 12, the Bible says we have an interdependency with the church. You're dependent on me in the church. I'm dependent on you in the church, that every part of the body— has a ministry to every other part of the body. So it's not dependency. It's interdependency. Interdependency is fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and well, that's, that's the most – something, but that's the most no, I mean, minimal, and, yeah. And that's the most common interdependency that exists in churches. Is you, but it's you, supposed to
0: be a lot more than that, right? right? Because every the church needs more than everybody to be a, a wallet, right? I mean, yeah, right. it's different parts of the body. But that's the picture of what it's supposed to be. It's like It's like in a marriage, right? If the if the wife expects the husband to do everything for her and never does anything, well, that's an unhealthy marriage. But if he's providing and she's keeping house, you know, whatever the breakdown of responsibilities are, that's an interdependency and that's maturity. And, and interdependency is he needs to maturity. be more than a wallet. Right,
1: you, you know, know what I mean? A,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean,
1: and there's a lot of people who have this idea that that's all the husband has to do is you you know, hey, I brought home the money, you know, and you do everything else. And there's a real problem there as well. I mean, right?
0: The, yeah, not to dismiss that problem, but I think that that the shift is not from dependency to independent. The shift is supposed to be from de- dependency to interdependency.
2: And all of this is really illustrated in a picture that is given to us in Hebrews five verses twelve to fourteen. And and prior to this, the author of Hebrews is basically given his his audience a a verbal spanking, saying, look, you're immature. And then he's breaking down what the, the specifics of that are. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe." But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And this is this is such a good passage, going back to what you were saying very early on, Charles, when you, when you say, I've got opinions about what childishness is and not. This passage should be one of those where you can say, okay, here's what the Bible says. It's taking this metaphor from life that we all understand. Babies need milk. Adults need food solid food and and then he's applying that to the church and saying this is the problem with your church he's this so that what we're talking about is not a modern problem this is a problem that was existing when they wrote the bible he's saying you have a problem because you've got people in your church who have not put off childishness in these specific ways you you have people who ought to be teachers but aren't they want to stay focused on oh just give me the gospel instead of if going beyond that and saying let's talk about the more complicated things in scripture
1: one of the things that's throughout this passage and throughout this whole conversation that really kind of strikes me is this spiritual picture of growing up and becoming mature is supposed to be normal mm-hmm. and i mean and i mean i remember having this moment of epiphany at one point where i was talking to someone about you know there's an el- about what an elder is and it's like imagine you have a big family you have a bunch of kids and you have a child who's 20 years old And you have a child who was born who is, you know, who's just born. When that child meets his 20-year-old brother, the difference between the two of them is so vast as to be the child almost can't even comprehend it. You go forward three or four years later and they can both do. There's things that now the four-year-old child can do that the 24-year-old brother can do, too. They, you know, they can both run. They can both play. They start to have a lot more similarities. they 24. They
0: may not be able to run that
1: well. <laughs> but, I mean, they can, they can look at each other. No, the 24-year-old is still so far above them that there's so many things they can do that they're still kind of in awe of them. But you go forward now to where one is, one is 10 and one is 30, and there start to be more connections. And by the time the one gets to be 20 and the other one is 40, there's a point where they look at each other, and he goes, I now understand you are just a grown-up human. That's what you are. You're a grown-up person, and I'm a grown-up person now. And there are still differences between us, but now there are so many ways in which we're the same. And if you look at that spiritually, you imagine in a church what it should be is when a person is saved, they're a babe in Christ, when that person meets their elder, it's like a a newborn meeting a 20-year-old older brother. They're literally an older brother. And there should be a point, whereas everyone does not have to become the role of elders, but there should be a point where the 20-year-old looks at the 40-year-old and goes, Ah! What you are is a grown-up Christian. You're not something fundamentally more than that. You're not a grown-up Christian with magic powers or who's gone through some special metamorphosis. You are just literally a mature Christian. That's what elders need to be.
2: Yeah, the, the thing about this Hebrews passage is he's not saying in any sense that it's bad that there are babies in the church that need milk. Right. That's not the point. The problem is that there are people in the church who ought to be adults who are still acting like babies. That's the problem that he's, that he's pointing right.
0: at. And there is an interdependency. We were talking about that. There is an interdependency here, right? You ought to be teachers. You're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Well, part of that is that you're just being fed in it and you're not trying to teach anybody, right? I mean, how do you get skilled in the word of righteousness? You have to have babes in the church you have to have younger people that you're it's through your use that you have your senses exercised to discern good and evil it's it's it has this interdependency right in there is yes it's not bad to be a child you need child so that the older people by caring for the child they mature right and that's what's supposed to happen we all you know anybody that's had a child understands that when they have a child they mature they grow up they have to act differently because they have a child Believers, unbelievers, everybody when they're – virtually everybody – when they have a child, all of a sudden they go, I'm kind of in a different stage in life. I have different responsibilities. And in the church, people need to be seeing that and going, I'm not supposed to pretend like I'm still the baby here. Well, that guy went to Bible college, so I don't need to know anything. And the writer of Hebrews is going, that's not how it works.
1: And I mean, you have a bunch of kids. A very normal part of homeschool life is that the 12-year-old is teaching the 6-year-old stuff and the, the 16-year-old is teaching stuff to the 12-year-old and to the t- because that helps mm-hmm. them both learn. what It helps them both crystallize what they've actually learned. And it doesn't mean that they teach them everything. It doesn't mean that they're their permanent teacher in all things. But that, like you said, everyone, because people will ask this question, Is doesn't Scripture say not all of you should be teachers? And it is contrasting between we all teach. But it doesn't mean everybody becomes a person who that's all they do is teach. And so it's
0: it's, – Just because there are to be teachers doesn't mean that they're teachers given to the church like it says in Ephesians 4. I mean there's a difference between somebody who's supposed to be teaching in the church, but everybody's supposed to be teaching the word of God. They're supposed to be teaching it to their children. They're supposed to be teaching it to other people. Every Christian is supposed to be teaching the
2: word of God. It's If you go and read in Paul's letters where he gives those lists of qualifications for what it means to be an elder – and you, and you look at each one of those line items on those lists, and you, you realize that the sum of them is not a super Christian, right. that there's no super holiness in those, that every one of those items is something that every Christian man ought to be doing. Should is, is the pastor the only person in your church who's not supposed to be a drunkard? Is he the only one who's supposed to not be given over to a greed for money? Have multiple wives. Is he the only one who's supposed to love one wife? You know, you know, every one of these is just basic Christianity. The elders are just the ones who are best at those or the most advanced in those. But that's all. Right. It's not a different species of Christian that they are. And as you mature
1: in the faith, I mean, we talked about the twenty-year-old and the forty-year-old brother. I mean, it's like there's a point when you get old. You know, when you're sixty and your parents are eighty, and there's not that much. You know, I mean, it, the, the gap between you is, has largely vanished. You know what I mean? There's just mm-hmm. there's not that much. To, and, yeah, they do have 20 more years of wisdom. But now that 20 more years is not the difference between zero and 20. It's the difference between 60 and 80, which is a lot, which should be a lot smaller. And I think we've it's, it is perverse that that picture that is so easily understood in a physical sense is almost alien in a spiritual sense. And so there is this there is this bad state in America and a bad state in the church where you can get into this position where you go, I don't see that in the church. I don't see that expectation of maturity. I don't see the normalness that should be going on. Right, and
0: the writer of Hebrews in the passage immediately following this basically says, move on from the foundational doctrine. The reason they're on milk is because all you do is give them milk. Stop giving them milk all the time and they'll stop acting like babies. So we should – we should recognize that that we can do this with our children, we can do this as an elder in a church, we can do all kinds of things to keep our children as children. One of the reasons that children stay on their parents' health insurance until 26 is because typically the mother, not so much the father, but... The mother wants to remember what they were like as a little baby, and they don't want to lose their little baby, and so that they want to treat them like a baby and have that feeling, you know. And so there's this desire to not say, put away childish things, grow up, take care of yourself, provide for yourself, understand things for yourself. It's like I kind of like the dependency on me, and that's really a sin against against the next generation. I think I mean in, in the church and outside the church.
1: And, I I mean, I don't disagree with you on the point of that frequently the mother has that particular attitude towards it. But we've gotten to the point where it's moved where, hey, fathers have gotten really bad about what I mean, the number of fathers who say, I don't want my children to have to deal with what I dealt with when I was growing up. I don't want them to have to deal with the difficulties that I had growing up. Where their attitude towards them is – and it even becomes more like and we're we're it's the way, like
0: I want to give them more difficult
1: and, and where the way and even where the father grew up, it wasn't that bad, no. <laughs> you know what I mean I mean we've got to the point where it's like it becomes this virtuous thing that your children have to struggle less than you did, and the truth is is the struggles the struggles were what were good for you, the struggle and not that you don't go break your kid's leg. so we, you know what I mean we're not talking. <laughs> Yeah. How they all get broken (laughs) legs. But there is just this wrong attitude towards difficulty and towards I mean, and so it's I mean it's they want to have an overly virtuous view of women sometimes and say that men you know, and, and put women on this pedestal that women don't do anything wrong. But I mean, men have moved into this category where men have decided not to grow up. And I mean, and oh, and the men,
0: I was just saying, a lot of times they're fathers, the men, don't want to grow up. I'm a hundred percent. That's right. that's definitely true. I just think it's more likely that the mother will want them to not grow up than the father. Right, but, but I mean, that but might that's be shifting moved. Too. I mean,
1: that's. I mean, when your your dad definitely wanted you to grow up. My dad wanted me to grow up. <laughs> it's fairly recent that there's been a, just a real shift in men refusing to grow up. And
2: we did a podcast about that. We did a yeah. podcast about how it's there's shocking number of men who want to remain dependent. They want to remain dependent on their parents, on the girlfriend, on the state, and they're not out there acting as if they are independent contributors to society. And
0: Right. They want to act like children. Because that's what, I mean, children, they can't be independent. They can't provide for themselves. They can't do these things. But men are supposed to do those things. No, and it's, it's really serious when you don't. Like it says in First Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his owner, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you're not out there providing for yourself, when you're, when you're an adult, when you're a man that, that you know, if, if you're just living off of your parents, that's, that's a sign of unbelief. That's a sign that you're worse than an infidel. Not just that you're like a Muslim, you're worse than a Muslim. And we tend to look at it and go, "Eh, that's that's not that big of a deal." And God's going, "No, that's actually a really big deal that you're not that you're acting like a child."
2: And isn't the context here of providing for like his widowed mother? Yes. So not even that's just n- not even just his children; it's extended family, and right. they shouldn't have to appeal to the church for aid because there's a man who ought to be acting like a man,
1: right? This next verse kind of goes back to kind of even some of the picture I was talking about before about the view of in the Old Testament there were these physical, you know, the, the men were expected to be men ready to go into war. And so there's a part of it where, I mean, children have no capacity to protect themselves. I mean, you know, they're... And they have
0: every right to expect
1: somebody to protect them. Right. And, and, that, right. and, and, and again, you can see how there's this progressive sense of as they get older, you expect them to start being able to stand up to certain challenges and deal with certain things on their own. You know, I mean, there's... You, I expect you to be able to have this conversation with this person. If someone comes over and takes your toy away, I expect you to say to them either, you know, hey, you should give me back my toy or what should you, you – know, I mean that you move them through all these different aspects until they can become an adult and they can protect themselves. And, and there's obviously a spiritual aspect to this because you have verses like Ephesians six eleven through 17. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god so obviously the the analogy there is more than just you need to be able to deal with someone who takes away your toy i mean this is not i mean this is this is talking about someone who is ready able to go to war This is someone who is able to not just protect themselves in the sense of, oh, someone's going to attack you and you have to survive their attack. No, you need to be able to go on the offensive. And so, I mean, you know, and it's really important, these things in the Old Testament where they went to war, where where they were told to go into the promised land and put to the sword everyone there. That's the picture that's here. I mean, is that we're not to take up a physical sword and go and kill everyone, but we're to take the sword of the Spirit. We're to take the sword of God's word and we're to go into the world and we're to put every man, woman, and child to that sword that they may know the truth of God and that God may do his work in the world.
0: And there's this shift that happens, right? That you have the baby that's just firstborn and they can't do anything to defend themselves, right? I mean, nothing. They can't do anything. But then as they grow up, the natural response, especially for boys, is to want to be defending themselves, right? To a to a five year old, every stick is a gun. Right? I mean or a sword.
2: Depending <laughs> on the child.
0: Right. And, <laughs> and the stick. And, and the stick. <laughs> but but they have this sense, but what I see in our culture is we're going, no, they shouldn't do that. That's wrong. That's that's terrible. We should delegate this to the police, which we've talked about before on a a podcast. We we, We shouldn't be defending ourselves. We shouldn't be protecting ourselves. We should have other people do it. And that's not the picture in Scripture at all. The picture in Scripture is 180 degrees from that. The picture of Scripture is not only are you supposed to be able to defend yourself, you're supposed to be able to go on the offensive, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven. That, that picture, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. That means that you're on the offensive. You're attacking. And the church has really gotten weak because, because we don't want to put away that childish thing of just saying other people are supposed to protect us. Other people are supposed to do it. Other people are supposed to do the hard work. How many people will go and confront somebody in the church that they know who's sinning? In most churches, what they do is if it was really bad, they'll go talk to the pastor and say, you should really talk to him about this. And most pastors don't go, you should actually be an adult. Go talk to them yourself. Instead, they go, okay, I'll talk to them and try to – and and we don't have this sense that you're supposed to be able to do these things for yourself. You're supposed to be able to defend yourself, and you're even supposed to then go out to war against the people outside the church, not in a physical sense but in a much harder sense, a spiritual sense.
1: I mean, when you think about this – the argument that we're making is imagine if someone in your church did something and someone went, stop being so childish. I mean, that's that is that—that's an insult, right? I mean, that you look at an adult and go, stop being so, – you're, you're so childish. And if you take each of these things, if we're right about these things, what we're saying is is someone who can't protect themselves, you should look at them and go – and we're talking spiritually. We're talking, I mean, physically. Or physically, there's, there's reality, too. But you should look at them and go – Stop being so childish. That is a childish thing. We're actually making the argument that they should be embarrassed to not have put that thing away. They should be embarrassed to not have matured. And so on each of these issues, to not have self-control, to not have these other things, I mean, they are childish things. And we we should think of them that way because we end up getting skewed to where we think of childishness. Again, we say, I want to insult someone. So how do I insult them? Let me say they're childish. So let me make an argument that that behavior is childish. But we should actually be able to think about these things in a real way.
0: It should be a provocation rather than an insult. Right. Meaning you're childish because you're childish. Stop acting childish. Right. Mature, grow the,
2: up. The metaphor in Ephesians 6 is interesting. In in if you think about it, what Paul's recognizing is that you by yourself are vulnerable. You, you are vulnerable to the fiery darts of the devil, but he's immediately going to look at all the ways that you've been equipped by God. So go ahead, put these things on, go to battle, and at the end of the day, you know what's going to happen? You'll be able to stand. That's, mm-hmm. that's what it says, literally. Is at the end of the day, you can stand.
3: Another characteristic skipping a child is is the the state of innocence. You know, I think that's something that a lot of people look to because you know these days a lot of people think, oh, I you know it was life was so much better when I was a child. I had this innocence. I didn't know all the problems in the world, all the all the bad things out there, all the responsibilities that you know burn you down. And and that's something that you know children have. That you know that's one thing they, they don't know a lot of things. And that's something that you know Paul even talks about directly that. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. Where children have a limited understanding of of a lot of things. You
0: know, a lot of people go ignorance is bliss. No, ignorance is ignorance. It's not bliss. It's it's. There's no advantage to not knowing things. There's no advantage to not knowing what the, how the world works. So when we talk about a child being innocent, it's not like in a spiritual sense they're sinners, but in a in a understanding sense they're very innocent. They're very naive. They're very much without understanding of the world around them. And that's not a good state to be, and you're supposed to grow up and stop being like that. You're supposed to see the world as it is. The whole world testifies to the nature of God, the nature of the Godhead. And so if you don't understand the world and you don't understand the things in the world, you don't really understand God. And to let a child stay ignorant, stay dumb, stay innocent, you're not, you're not paying a blessing to them. And we all recognize this with children, but I think you put it in a spiritual sense. You put it in as an adult. How many adults just go, well, I don't want to think about that. Yes, these things are happening in the world, but I don't want to think about that. Instead of going, no, I actually have a responsibility to understand what's happening so I can respond in an appropriate way.
1: You said ignorance is ignorance, and there's no advantage to being ignorant. But, I mean, there are verses in Scripture. I mean, everything things I thought of was you know the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the passage where it talks about you know, that for those who have heard the good things and have fallen away, it would be better for them if they had never heard of them at all.
0: Right. So the first one, when you talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God had them eat of it so that they would end up in a better place, so that mankind would end up in a better place, not necessarily Adam and Eve. Right. It really was when we willfully and knowingly and understanding sin choose Christ because of his work in us and his call of us, we were in a much better place than Adam was. And so – to go back to the state of innocency, the state of ignorance that Adam had would not be a blessing. It would be a curse. The other one where you talk about it would be better for them if they never knew. Well, on the other hand, there's that, that truth. If they fall away and that gets to be a very complicated passage. But the other thing there is the point is they couldn't be saved without knowing they could not be saved. So one way or the other, they would have been damned to hell. The only way they could be saved is to, to to speak the truth and so this is one of the issues that you have with your children where your children may never be saved but yet you should still preach the gospel to them does it increase their their guilt if they're not saved absolutely so would it be better for them if they never heard? absolutely but still you have a duty to tell them because it's better for them to know because that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god so i don't think those two are in contrast with each other
1: no, and I think I mean I think and it even strikes that I mean we don't necessarily need to we've we've talked about this some of, where people talk about um, under the age of accountability and things like that and there's this part of it where we attribute certain things to ignorance that that scripture doesn't allow us to attribute and so there are complexities that people people take where God designed children to have an ignorance in a certain sense and then they say because of that ignorance. God can't judge them God can't deal with it's, them and all these different issues, and those things are completely false,
0: as and, opposed to the child that turns around knowing that he'll get in trouble for doing something to see if you're watching well he's not innocent in any right. sin sense in any you know right
1: and it's even a lot of it is even a misunderstanding of innocence because like you said, so much of innocence is ignorance i mean right. and, and and God has designed certain things for people to be ignorant of for periods of time, I mean like even with Adam and Eve, there was a period of time where they were where it was where it was good that Adam and Eve be ignorant of certain things, where God designed it for them to be that way. And with children, I mean, there's knowledge that you want to give them about things. There's certain sexual knowledge that you that a child should not have until a certain point in their life, and giving it to them early would be very, very evil and very, very dangerous. And so you can even see where there's an aspect of that, you know, a sexual knowledge is a part of physical maturity and and should be gained in a certain way but it's not something that you want to foist on someone just to, just to disrupt their innocence
0: there's a point where you know if you have you know you have somebody that's 30 that doesn't understand the sexual things that's that's a problem right that's a real problem they don't understand to, anything about them right anything about them and and you know that idea that that you can just stay in that state and remain and that becomes good no it started out good but it becomes bad and and I think there's a lot of things that, that people, in the church especially, they just want to, like, stick their head in the sand and pretend like they don't exist. They pretend like they don't need to do anything about it. They pretend like they have no responsibility. You know, we, people go to the abortion clinic and, and protest on Saturdays. And how many people drive by and they get upset? And part of the reason that I bet a bunch of them get upset is because they're forced to actually think about what's going on. And they don't want to think about it. They just want to be innocent. I don't know anything. I'm just, I don't know that they're slaughtering babies here. Well, guess what? They should know because they have guilt. They have blood on their hands because it's happening. And so that there's a big difference between a, a baby not having guilt because they don't know what their father's doing. But there's a lot big difference between that and the 18-year-old the whose father is a mobster that kills people pretending like, no, nothing ever happens here. No, they're guilty even though they pretend to be ignorant, and they are working to protect that ignorance. We're a people that are supposed to be a people of knowledge. You know, it says in Matthew ten sixteen, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're supposed to know what's going on in the world so we can go out and have an effect on the world. God left us here to impact the world. Children don't have a big impact on the world when they're young. When they grow up, they're supposed to have an impact on the world, and that's what Christians are supposed to be like. And as long as you remain innocent so that you don't understand the things that are going on, you can't have an impact. You know, one thing that we haven't talked about, childishness, which is one thing that, you know, when you think of children, that is one of the most obvious ones. And God even makes it very explicit that you're supposed to drive the foolishness out of the heart of a child using the rod. And so obviously foolishness is a big part of of childishness. And when you start to look at what foolishness is, though, it's you can't just make a blanket term fool because or foolish because the reality is scripture talks about different kinds of foolishness and so when you're putting away childish things there's different aspects of foolishness that you need to put aside not just just you know just go oh i'm going to stop being a fool because scripturally a fool isn't that generic there's different kinds of fools the basic kind is one who's being a fool because they're twisting things and perverting them and making them what they're not. Another one is about about basically just silly and they're they're like the word comes from fat. It just means that you're just kind of you're just kind of there and enjoying yourself and you're just you're not you're in your own world. You're not worried about the other things that are going on. Um, and then the other one is that you're foolish and you're simple and so you can easily be misled into trouble. And so those are kind of the, the three different kinds of foolishness. And I think you're supposed to put away all those foolishness because, you know, adults are supposed to be sober-minded. And we've kind of lost this in our society. But adults are supposed to be sober-minded. The world's a serious place. There's serious problems. There's serious work to be done. There's, there's, There's people going to hell. We're supposed to be serious. We're not supposed to be filled with foolishness.
2: And when you say there's these three types of foolishness, you're saying that there's actually three, three separate words, words yes. that all get translated "fool." And yeah, foolish. actually
0: four, but two of them are pretty close, so.
2: Okay.
1: I mean, I think that was actually a really useful point when you said that there's that only one of those is particularly used specifically with that the rod that this is the foolishness that the rod drives out, and I think it's something that gets very much overlooked. And I even mean, I don't know many people who talk about it that much. Actually, that this is because I mean, there's a part of it where there can be times where you're spanking your. I mean, you can. Let's be really specific. When you talk about perverting truth, part of that is just a lack of discipline, a lack of discipline with the truth. And I mean, sure. and, and we're talking about span I don't mean. I mean, in that
0: you can drive out, but what you can't drive out, which is
1: you know, like uh, ignorance. You can't. You can't out. Right. You can't spank <laughs> ignorance out. You don't know this. Don't you know this? Why don't you know this?
0: this? Let me say something. (laughs) So Michael Pearl, right, his teaching get to the point where he basically says that you can drive out ignorance with with the rod. And that's because there is a type of foolishness that's ignorance. And so if you mishandle the words – and there's been people – and I'm not saying that Michael Pearl directly did this, but people killed their children thinking they were following Pearl's methods – Because they thought you could drive out the foolishness of ignorance. well, you can't drive out ignorance with the rod. That's not what it does. What the rod does is drive out the desire to twist the truth. That's what the rod can drive out. And that's in the bound up in the heart of every child, right? Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him.
2: And which type of foolishness and is this? This
0: type of foolishness is the foolishness that comes from the word perverse. So it means like you're twisting things, and you're the person, the the child who's going. I'm not. You're not in charge. I'm in charge. Well, they just twisted something that the rod can take care of, right? But if you go, you know. <laughs> And this is, so you have a five-year-old that leads a two-year-old to do something wrong. Or maybe the two-year-old should have known better, but the five-year-old definitely should have known better. You obviously punish the five-year-old. They twisted it. The two-year-old may have just been simple. And you just need to instruct
1: them. They need to see the simple. We'll see the other person get disciplined.
0: They can acknowledge indirectly. But, right. And so simple can be that, that, they're misled, and they should be going. You shouldn't follow your your sibling into this, while well, the sibling plotted to do it. I mean, I right. I know <laughs> I can think of a specific case when Joshua was growing up, where he got spanked a lot harder than his brother did, who actually caused his sister to need stitches. Um, but but Joshua should have known. And his younger brother, he was a lot more simple.
1: I mean, and there's a part of it where I mean, when you think about. The two things that I would think about, in the sense of there's one who is very willfully twisting things, and you definitely want to spank for that, and you want to discipline strongly for that. And the other is is there's a part of it where some of the discipline is, in the beginning, you instruct them, and that part of it is the discipline is teaching them how important being straight with the truth is, that the straightness of things. You know what I mean? Like, well, why you Right care. The person
0: who got the child who goes. You never told me that. I didn't know. Well, they're twisting. That's what the rod right right. of correction will that's drive lying. out. Because, and maybe they forgot, but it will help them to remember that that's not true. Right. Because they were informed as opposed to the one who doesn't know and you never taught. And that, that you know, it, it's a different kind of foolishness. And I'm, both of them are foolishness, but it's a different
1: kind. And it's at odds with, I mean, scripture is very much about making all things straight. You know what I, mean? I mean you know what I mean and so this I mean this is this is when you think about this when you think about twisting and turning he will make every path I mean this you know these things will be made straight and so you're this is this is you pushing them in the way that they don't fight against righteousness and it doesn't mean that they're per, that they have to be perfectly righteous but when they're saying righteousness doesn't matter I'm going to lie about righteousness. I'm going to lie about what's righteous, about my knowledge of righteousness, about that I, that you've shown me how to do this and that I don't care about it. Those are the things that you can that this is useful for. Yeah, them. in
0: 1 Timothy 3, it says wicked men, in the King James, wicked men wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's the picture. When you allow a child to pervert things, he starts to believe in his perversion of it, so then it perverts more and he starts to get other people right. to do it. That's what the rod works to drive out. That kind of fool, and that's the kind of fool that that you don't want to be. That's the kind of fool that causes misery in your life. That's the kind of fool that I mean. The other, it's not good to be simple. I'm not saying it's good <laughs> it's to be simple. The other types of fool, but it is the most damaging one by right. far. Is the one where you're taking it and you can't tell what's straight and what's crooked, and you over time your heart and your conscience gets seared, so you become a greater and greater fool. The simple actually declines in their foolishness. The fool that's the fool that's twisting, they increase in their foolishness. Because they, you yeah, know, that's the promise of Scripture. They wax worse and worse.
1: Right. If you're simple, just being in the world wars against being simple. Right. And so whereas twisting, continue, I mean, that's that's really important to understand. And the world can tolerate simple. I mean, you don't want to be simple, but the world can tolerate simpleness. I mean, America is not falling apart because of simpleness. America is where we are. Is not fundamentally because of simpleness. It is because of perversion,
0: right? And it's because of people acting like fools. Fathers not raising their children—that's acting like a fool, right? I mean, not fulfilling their duty to their children. I mean, that's that's foolishness, right? It's very clear who has responsibility, and and yeah, all these things. There's so many things that that we think we can twist them and work out better than than god's plan and it's all foolishness and we're supposed to put aside foolishness and since you're supposed to use the rod to drive it out of their heart we're supposed to be putting away that foolishness we should work hard to say what have we twisted and untwisted because it just creates more and more damage and you can look at our culture and it's it's spinning out of control and more wilder and wilder gyrations because we don't care about putting away the foolishness of perversion
3: i mean mean, there also is a Big connection between the foolishness because you know, the simplicity is often willful, where it's, I mean, in that point, it is a perversion, where right. it's a willful, you know, brutishness, simplicity, where you are refusing to be educated to uh, understand things. And so it, it is more than just, you know, a simple ignorance.
2: And that's the church is particularly at fault in that kind of simplicity when when the world is perverse and the church is simple and how it approaches and deals with that perversity.
0: Right. And probably the most simple way is just preach the gospel. Jesus is about to come back, so just preach the gospel. You don't need to tell them to repent. You don't need to teach them to obey all things I've commanded you. All you have to do is preach the simple gospel. We need to rescue people before Christ comes back. That's the simple message that is very ignorant and very widespread in the church, and that's causing great damage. So, foolishness of simplicity is also very damaging not as it doesn't tend to have the same spiraling out of control like the other one does but it's not like it's good it causes real problems and And it causes the church to have no strength in the world and go
2: back to that passage in hebrews where we're looking at where he's saying you want milk instead of meat what he's the context there is he's trying to solve a problem that they have by talking about doctrine and he says you're not ready for the doctrine you can't handle the doctrine. You can't handle the truth. He's saying that to them, and and he's like, look, and it's your fault. The reason that you cannot solve these problems in the church is because you still want milk, and there, and, and yet there's a solution there for you. There's meat there that will get you past this thing that's a problem in the church.
0: And and there it's willful simplicity, right? Because Absolutely. Goes, the reason yeah, that yeah. you're not doing this is because you're afraid people will be lost. Because if you do this, then people, you know, all of a sudden they'll recognize that, that they weren't saved. And the answer is that's all the more reason to do it. That that is a, you know, Hebrews 6 is a pushback against the foolishness of simplicity, the foolishness of just being I'm simple, I'm stupid, I don't know anything. It's no, put water on it. It's like a field. If you put water on it, you find out what's weeds and what's – What's actually, you know, grain that's going to produce good grain by putting water on it? Go put water on it. Don't worry about it. And the simple fool says, "I don't want any water. I don't want to grow. I don't want to have knowledge."
1: And you can see how the 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 perverse fool, who's really developed in his perverseness, really takes advantage of the simple, right? I mean, and you can see this in cultural things like Occupy Wall Street was a lot of simple people being led by some perverse people. You know, I mean, they they didn't understand how. They don't understand economics enough to understand that their boss needs them and actually does care for them. And the perverse person goes and whispers in their ears, says your boss hated you. And they follow along after them. You can see wolves do this in the church where the perverse person comes in and leads the foolish in the and the simple away.
0: That's, yeah, that's, that's black lives matter in a lot of way with Antifa and what some of the leaders right. of black lives matter were doing was to, to lead away the simple that wanted to think, you know, they they've got their college. They've, Go away to college at their liberal university and they go, oh, yeah, this, is, this will really help the black man when they're – no, they're just being fools and being led, led away by people who are not fools,
1: right. not fools in that sense. They're right. fools in the perverse sense. Right. I mean and one of the things that scripture just – scripture calls to people, those who are simple fools, Oh, you know Proverbs 8, 5, it says, oh, you simple ones, understand prudence and you fools be of an understanding heart. And so there's, like, this is what you were talking about, that it's – so often it's it's willful simplicity that it takes work to understand things. It takes – I mean, it's so easy to be dismissive. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get frustrated. I'll get frustrated with you because I'll say something and I'll go, that's really stupid. And you'll go – and I think, oh, dear, it's just a contrary. He'll go, well, actually <laughs> – you know, and then and then you'll – you know you don't know enough about it to understand it and then all of a sudden you realize what they did and you go well okay that actually does make sense i understand now i understand or, why maybe they, it did
0: they it wasn't wise what they did but i see why they would have chosen to do right. it right and
1: you and you and you come i mean there's this part of it where it's so i mean it's even in even in your desire to be righteous it's easy to be simple and this is one of the things why you can in a child sometimes a child sees something and their condemnation of it isn't, it's to be applauded because they are ignorant and they even should be ignorant at this stage. You're not, you're not looking at them going, you should understand this by now. You're going, I understand why you see this and think this is simple to solve. And this is when you see, you know, young people and they go, why is this being allowed? And why? And sometimes they're absolutely right. And Sometimes times, it's sloth and laziness right. is why it's being allowed. But other times, times it's harder to solve the right. Problem. And and this it's the old saying of right, if you're twenty years old and you're not a liberal, then you're hard hearted, and if you're forty years old and you're not a conservative, then you're stupid. You know what I mean? There's this part of it where there's a certain point where by the there's a certain point where you have to understand things enough. And there's this earlier point where you look at them and go, Of course you would think we should just give everybody all the money they need. Because you don't understand economics. You don't have this fundamental understanding of how the world works. And so
0: – And and the sad thing is, right, is that people saying that are in their 20s. It's one thing for a three-year-old to say that. Right. But we've got people in their – we've got a president in his 80s almost that's saying that. So, right. I mean, yeah, this is, this he's is not where a we simple are. Fool. So he's not a simple fool, right? I would definitely agree with that. But we look at this and we go – this is, you know, this is our society. This is what we accept. We say people aren't supposed to think about things, and the people who want to accrue power, they want to keep the fool simple. They don't want people to understand things. And the problem is the church is filled with simple fools, not necessarily people that, whose intentions are bad, but we have a responsibility to be more than a fool. Being a fool is still childishness. And to not understand things, not understand how the Word of God applies in the world, not understand how we should be thinking about what's going on around us. Because if we don't understand those things, we cannot shine forth light because we can't speak to people where they are because we have no idea where they are. And, you know, we did a podcast on total depravity. And, I mean, we need to understand total depravity. Otherwise, you don't know how to talk to people.
1: I mean, and I think one of the things we don't realize is is the is. The way not being simple slows down evil. It's very easy. If, if someone can get in front of you and say something and everybody just accepts it, it's easy for one person to lead a whole bunch of fools. But if, if each one of them goes, wait a minute, can you explain? It, it, they don't even have to be that wise to ask a question that requires him to explain. And his explanation doesn't hold together because it's not true. All of a sudden, one person can't lead all those people anymore because... It doesn't work. Only, it just takes
0: more time. Right. There, he doesn't have the soon bandwidth. As soon as ask the question, you've reduced the person's bandwidth.
1: Right. And so, I mean, so there's just – it's 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 incredible how these things work together. And so just lowering the number of simple people makes it harder for the perverse to lead a people astray.
0: But I think a lot of people, they like to be simple fools because they don't like the truth. And that's a really important Christian concept. The truth shall set you free. The truth does not hurt. The truth is a blessing, even the truths that you don't like. Truth is good. Jesus Christ is the truth. And so, you know, ignorance is bliss is the opposite. It's completely contradictory to Jesus Christ being the truth. If Jesus Christ is the truth, ignorance, has, ignorance is not good because it's the opposite of Christ. And so I think there's a lot of people in the church that just go, oh, there's terrible things happening in the world, but I don't want to know about them. Well, that's not how you shine forth light. That's not how you act as salt. That's not how you fulfill the role of the church. The way you fulfill the role of the church is to do to have knowledge and to have understanding. The sons of Issachar, right, God blesses them because they discern the times. We're supposed to be the people that discern the times, and you can't be a simple fool. That's a childish thing that we're supposed to put away, and we're supposed to understand when, when we live, what we should do about it, what our response should be, you know, all those things making predictions of what's will happen in the future so we take steps i mean those are all the things that we're supposed to be doing and simple fools can't do that we need to put away foolishness
1: the last type of fool is another one that in a child it's not necessarily bad after this type of fool but like, just like being simple
0: it's like why people like to watch children
1: <laughs> right and and it's and it's not even something that has to be immediately they're just like crushed but it should be they should be led away from it as this is of maturity is that maturity happens over time but it shouldn't be allowed to persist indefinitely but when it's found in someone who should be mature it's very troubling and this is it's a word that relates to the word fat and it kind of has to do with being unconcerned about the world and what you know i mean that child doesn't worry about if his mother's going to have food for him in an hour he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't you know he doesn't worry about it He doesn't think about tomorrow in any way i mean he's just you know I'm, when he's hungry he. he and says he's hungry he doesn't like oh i've got to like store this milk up i've got to figure out a way i've got to come up with an intricate bottling system in the next two days he doesn't worry about any of these things and so i mean you can see this i mean the the verse that it's in it's not necessarily immediately (laughs) obvious that that this is where this word comes from but proverbs 14 16 a wise man fears and departs from evil but a fool rages and is self-confident and obviously in this verse it's talking about someone who's who's not a child but, I mean, a wise man understands the way God has made the world. He understands that if you don't – that what you re- what you sow, you'll reap. He understands that if you don't sow, you shouldn't expect to reap. He understands all – and so he – it's like the prudent man sees and, and avoids evil. He, he understands the way the world works, and he departs from evil because he knows the end of evil is death.
0: But the person who's happy-go-lucky, right, when all of a sudden bad things happen to him, he rages and, and he's – He's in his self-confidence. He's going, nothing's going to happen to me. Everything's fine. And he doesn't, like, actually pay attention to what's going on around him. And, you know, I think that the, the opposite of this is sobriety. We're supposed to be sober-minded. That's, that's the commandment. That's, that's one of the, the requirements for an elder, right? That's what it looks like to be mature is to be sober-minded. And that's not talking about alcohol. That's talking about thoughtful right? Take every thought captive is the term for being sober-minded, right? That's another way to say it. And that's kind of the opposite of this kind of fool. This kind of fool is just going, ah, eh, whatever. Yeah, I'll just play around because tomorrow doesn't matter. Other people will take care of me. And again, that's fine in a two-year-old. That's not fine in a 20-year-old. And I think there's a lot of people in the church that go, hey, Jesus Christ save me so that my life would be great. So I can just sit here and close my eyes, not do anything, not not serve God in any way. I, I'm just fine. I'm happy, you know. And they don't think they should grow up. But this is a foolishness that we're supposed to put aside.
1: Where you can see this in a baby, and where you should start dealing with it is, you don't you don't start off spanking a baby. You know, what I mean. But when you the first time a baby, when you correct them in any way, this is what they act like. They cannot believe. You know, you, you, they're you know they're hitting you with something, and you you just take it out of their hand, and they look at you like they cannot believe the way of the world. You know, right. what I mean, they just you. I was I had that, and I was doing something with it, and you what? You know, what I mean, they are just sh- and they rage. You know, what I mean, they do they look and they, you know, and and at a certain point where you start to discipline them for their reaction to it because they're refusing to accept the way of the world. They're refusing to accept that the world, that the ways need to be made Refusing to accept
0: your your authority. (laughs) But
1: I mean, but in the end, I mean, and this is, so you do even have to start, you can't allow a child to continue in this in every way. It's very early that they have to realize they live in a world and you, you in many ways are that world in the beginning. And you begin to show them this is how the world works. You know, the kids, when they're learning, like they'll tell you they drop things and they're testing gravity. That's true. That's absolutely fine. It doesn't mean you have to let them do it a hundred times. It, right. So
0: they test gravity the first time. The second time, they're testing their parent. Right.
1: They're teaching you that if you don't give it back to them, they're going to be, and, and I'll, let, I'll let them do it a couple – you right. know. It's, and then there's a point where I'm like, okay, we've had enough of that. And now they're like, they get upset. I want to keep testing. I want to keep playing, and I'm not their servant. I'm not going to – I mean, in the beginning, I'm not even going to do that much to them except let them understand this is how the world works. And how are you going to react to the way the world works? But you can see the fool's reaction.
2: But if your six-year-old did that, you would have – what kind of person are you? And, and
1: not even that long with that child where there would start to be some negative – You know, there would start to be some feedback to that child to let them know that you – In their performance reviews. You're not,
3: <laughs>
0: because they almost always start with their water cup, So you get really tired of that. Right. Not and, not so you, and
1: so you start teaching them. I mean, and this is – this is how god brings us along and it is part of maturity and we should not reject the idea that that maturity begins right away that we begin putting away child. if you don't if a baby doesn't do, look at all the list of things if a baby doesn't start putting these things away they die it's called not thriving the doctor will say your baby's not if your baby's not developing physical strength they die if your baby's not putting away some of their innocence about certain things they're going to hurt themselves and con- you know what i mean right. this these things, they actually lead to death, and so we should not fool ourselves about them.
2: Dan, one of the things that you've said that, it, that applies kind of across the board to all of these types that we've looked at, when, when you have preached on parenting before, you say to parents, look, you're not raising children. You already have children, you're raising adults. And that, that kind of gets at everything that we've talked about tonight, is these are things that you already have in a child that you're trying to mature them out of so that they can become adults.
0: And the problem is that that a lot of people go, well, I don't want them to keep dropping their cup, but I'm fine with them spending all day long reading the sports pages and memorizing, you know, the batting averages of everybody in the national league. And both of those are they're they're both that's That kind of fool. They're both that kind of fool where it's just meaningless. It's just garbage. And how many parents, how many fathers, let's attack fathers again since I keep attacking fathers on this podcast. How many fathers spend their time with their sons about foolishness, about things that don't matter? I'm sorry, it does not matter who wins the World Series. It does not matter at all. Who cares? And yet, it's about sports, it's about playing games, it's about doing things that don't mean anything. They're acting like this kind of fool. And a lot of fathers, that's their primary relationship with their sons, is to, to be fools together like this. And Christian fathers are not to be like that. We're supposed to be sober-minded, we're supposed to say, There's, we're, Jesus Christ died to purchase us as a slave. What's the point of a slave? To do work. And if all you're saying is I'm going to be a fool like this fool and not do anything, you're saying Christ died for no reason. He bought a really bad slave. But that's not what Christ says. Christ in Ephesians 2 says, you're new creatures in Christ Jesus made for good works that I prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Christ says, I don't have fools like that. I haven't bought any slaves that are fools like that. But I think the churches. is – we have are filled with fools
1: like that which should really f- frighten or, or people or from real specific when he bought them they may have been fools oh, but yeah, he absolutely. does not leave them he does them not in the state he trains porn. his slaves so right. that they produce right and that is and that is really really important that, right that.
0: because it's the sowing of the seed and some some falls on the shallow soil and burns up some falls among the weeds and gets choked out and then the rest produce 30 60 100 fold god makes his children those who he has saved he makes them not be fools like this
1: right and it, and it goes back to what we said earlier about false humility you can't just go i'm just a sinner saved by grace and by that you mean that grace has no power that the holy spirit has no power i'm just a sinner saved by grace and grace can't do anything and that's or, really
0: Or the parable of the talent, right, where the guy hides it in the ground and goes, well, I know you're an evil master. How dare you do this to me? I gave you back what you gave me. And he goes, well, for that you go to hell. And so we should just recognize how serious it is to be a fool like this. God says put aside – put away foolish things and to continue to propagate this kind of foolishness. It's not some minor thing. This is a very serious thing in the eyes of God. We've talked a lot about different aspects of childishness in this podcast, and the point of doing it is, yes, we should train our children to put away that childishness, but we should first look at ourselves, and especially not just the physical, but spiritual. If we're Christians, are you putting away spiritual childishness? Because God saves us not to be children. He saves us to be servants. Thanks for joining us.
1: This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching.